0: scripture this morning comes from the sixth chapter of the prophet isaiah it is uh, what scholars call his call narrative we be reading uh, verses one through eight portions of this will be familiar to you as we come to this passage let us first join together in prayer Gracious and eternal God, because you are God, it is your word and your word alone that is life for us. And because you are gracious, because you are gracious, we trust that you will speak to us. Even now, even here, O God, through these ancient words handed to us through the community of faith, whisper your truth to our hearts, we pray. We are here, O God. We are listening. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Listen to this, that God might speak to us. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And he said, go. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. So in these weeks, we are reflecting on the wisdom our spiritual grandparents in our denomination have given us in what's called the great ends of the church or the great purposes of the church. They spent time reflecting on what the church is for. Why do we do this together? It's an important question because Christian faith is never lived individually. It always is lived together in community. So the community of Christians is essential for a person to be a follower of Christ. Therefore, it's worthwhile to reflect on what or The great ends or purposes, they are great, but that doesn't mean that the church is always great in living them out. When we talk about being Christian, it's a circumstance that the theologians they describe as a life that is already not yet. Both at the same time, already not yet. it, it is to say that that Christian faith is something that we already live, and yet at the same time we 're not fully Christian, not fully like Christ, not yet so here 's the thing: we grow, and in faith we grow, but it 's not like physical growth, physical growth is going to happen whether you want it to or not I mean. There was a time when, well, I was like these little ones. There was a time when I was, I don't know, 8 pounds, 18 pounds. I had almost no hair at all, and I cried all the time. There was another time when I was 138 pounds, and I had dark brown hair to my shoulders, actually, and I cried every time a girl broke up with me, which was not a significant difference in pattern from when I was an infant. Now well all those things are different physical growth just happens but growth in faith is something that must be pursued it doesn't just happen there is a promised day toward which we are living it is something toward which we are drawn and and it is it is movement toward that day that life that is our spiritual growth so I remember it this way. I was, I was in second grade and my parents told me that my mom was pregnant with what turned out to be my baby brother, Jim. As a second grader, I was not exactly wise about how these things happened. And so when my parents told me in September that, that I was going to have a little brother or sister, I thought they were telling me that the kid was going to show up by dinner time. They said, no, 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 this is not going to happen until after Christmas. So think back, when you're in second grade and Halloween is still weeks away, Christmas may or may not ever get here. And so I couldn't figure out, why are you telling me now? They said, we just want you to be prepared. I said, okay, great, I'll get right to that. Well, things started changing around the house. They brought a crib and put it in my room. I said, I can't fit in that anymore. It's not for you. It's for the baby, they said. Then they painted the room over by the crib. They painted just one wall blue with little clouds on it. It's for the baby. We want to be prepared, they kept saying. Well, the kid finally showed up. But here's the point. Long before he arrived, things changed in our family. Because we knew he was coming, it changed the way we were living in the present. That's the way spiritual growth works. God has promised an abundant life, a way of life that we are with, that we share with one another, and because we trust that life is coming, it changes how we are with one another. The great ends of the church are like that. They describe the way we are, and at the same time, the way we will be. We are already, but also not yet. The great ends of the church speak of a way of living that we strive to embrace. I bring this up today, I bring this up today because of all of the great ends, if there's one that we would assume we've got down, it's this one, the third one. The third great end of the church is this. The church exists for the maintenance of divine worship. The maintenance of divine worship. Well, you're here, you're worshiping, We should have this down right the great end doesn't say you actually have to be paying attention during worship it just says the maintenance of divine worship we're here we've got it right well let's reflect on that a bit and let me begin by asking what do you want from this what what brings you here what what do you want from worship that's the first and most important question and then there's a second important question, and the second question, and they're related. What do you think God wants from us here? What might God want from our worship? Isaiah is in the temple. Ancient Israel understood that the temple in Jerusalem was God's home address. The temple was the place where the feet of God rested. It was God's cosmic home. And Isaiah has an encounter with God and says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. This encounter resulted in two things. Confession. Isaiah says, woe is me, I am lost. Now that I have seen God, I know that I am lost. I am a person of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, there is a different life that is waiting for me, but not just for me, for all of the world. We haven't figured it out yet. There's a new life waiting for us. This is Isaiah's confession. Encountering God makes makes it clear to him the ways that we settle, the ways that we make do, the ways that we accept the unacceptable. But Isaiah is not left in this brokenness. He experiences forgiveness, yes, but that forgiveness is sealed in a new vocation, a new work, a holy purpose with his life. Isaiah says, "'Here am I. Send me. Send me where you will, for what you will. Use my days for your purposes.'" It's his vocation. This encounter with God results in Isaiah's renewed self-assessment of life. "'We're not home yet,' he said. "'We haven't gotten it all right,' he says." And God says, "'Yes.'" And now here is your purpose. Here is your calling. Worship changed his life. This experience of worship changed his life. You know, because I was preparing for this, I started reflecting on some recent moments of worship for me that I think were transformative for me in small ways but significant ways. I thought about May 23rd this year after 14 months of this sanctuary being essentially empty. Some of us came back. And we sat in these familiar pews and we sang familiar hymns. It was Pentecost. And we were together in one room. And it seemed to me the Spirit of God was here with us. It was holy. And I think of July 30th when we gathered in the sanctuary to bear witness to the resurrection for Dr. Bob Bennealy. He was a great man, a prophet with courage, and if anything more than that, he was a pastor with tireless grace. It was holy to remember this great man and all that God had done through his ministry and through this church during those five decades. But one of the indescribable moments is for the first time we had a full choir for the first time in well over a year we had a full choir and they they sang and it felt like we were in the presence of angels and God was in the room holy moments for me what about you when have you had an experience that God was present maybe while singing I'm pretty sure music is God's favorite language. Maybe while singing, maybe while baptism. Baptism is always holy. Maybe there was a moment when the beauty of it all left you astounded and wonder. I don't know what the moments have been for you. I imagine you've had such moments. And I imagine there are at least parts of your experience that are like Isaiah's, that this experience where you sense the closeness of God reshapes you in some fashion, causes you to reassess what's important, what matters, what your time is for, what life is for. These experiences can be powerful. So it's interesting that the great end of the church does not say the church exists to provide the opportunity for the experience of worship. It doesn't say that. It says the maintenance of divine worship. Not the experience of worship, the maintenance of divine worship. Why do you suppose the language is maintenance? Because here's the thing those experiences that I was talking about, those experiences I was inviting you to remember, they don't need maintenance. <laughs> they don't need to be curated. They just happen, they just come to us. It's just. It's just a gift. It just it just it just happens. So, what are we maintaining? What is the maintenance of divine worship? I think I think this is when we begin to move to the second question. Our experience in worship is important, very important. I care about it, but I promise you. But our experience is not the only important thing that happens here. There is something else that should be maintained. And that is we come in and we should ask, what does God want from us? What does God want? From God's perspective, why does worship matter? James K.A. Smith is a theologian. He wrote a little book called You Are What You Love, And he says that if we really want to know what God wants, we have to start by asking ourselves what we want. And it's not always easy to know. Imagine imagine you came to worship today. Imagine you came to worship today and looked around, and you were the only one in the room. Everybody else The choir forgot. I overslept. Dr. Bickers had a gig out of town. The esters were just hanging out in the village cup it's just you and of course god and you're here by yourself and god asks you so what do you want what do you really want what would you say what would you answer it's not as easy to know my my brother gene my brother gene i've told you about him often he He's a refrigerator watcher. He he will he will stand in front of the refrigerator and just peer in there so long that you you would be forgiven if you thought he was supplementing the air conditioning in this fashion. He just stares in the refrigerator and you ask him, Gene, Gene, what do you want? I want I want something to eat. Well, what do you want to eat? I don't know. Well, what are you doing? I'm just looking until I know. He's a refrigerator. It's hard to know what we want sometimes. It's not always easy to know what we're hungry for. James Smith says it's an important question to ask because to be human we are defined by our desire. If Descartes said we're defined by our thoughts, Smith says we're defined by our wants, by our desires, say it deeper. We are what we love. What we love shapes us so to ask what we want is an important question because it's really asking what do we love and even if we discern what we love even if we get clear about that we may discover we don't learn love the right things that was isaiah's revelation i'm a person of unclean lips he says say it differently I've been loving the wrong things because to love the right things is something that has to be shaped in us it has to be nurtured that's what the maintenance of divine worship is for if I understand it what God wants from us here all of us me and you all of us what God wants from us here is to train our hearts to love what God loves. To love what God loves. And I don't know about you. eh, Yeah, I do. I don't always love what God loves. I don't always. Sometimes the best I can say is I want to want what God wants. I want to love what God loves, but I don't always. Which is why the maintenance of divine worship is essential because this is the language school of the kingdom of God. This is, this is, this is the practice field for the promised day of God. I think the divine, the maintenance of divine worship is the practice of training our hearts to want what God wants, to hunger for what God hungers, We can learn to love what God loves, but it takes discipline. See if this makes sense. When I was, when I was a when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school, I guess, I had breakfast every day before school, and it was either one of two things. It was either Pop Tarts. Do you remember those Pop Tarts? Because I thought that was real food, or Lucky Charms. I don't even know if they make that cereal anymore. Lucky Charms. They were magically delicious, they promised. I ate that one of the two, one or the other, every day through elementary school. And then when I was in high school and I got my own car, it was a station wagon with wood grain paneling on the side. You remember those? I never met one person who thought that was cool. I don't, I don't know who came up with the idea of putting wood grain paneling on the side of the station wagon. But I had my own car. And so I would go to Baskin Robbins ice cream shop every day and get a mint chocolate chip milkshake large every day I love that but look a person cannot live on sugar alone I know I tried in time I had to repent I had to change my ways I had to learn to eat salads and broccoli and stuff now we even have kale growing in our garden something happened along the way I not only changed what I wanted to eat, deeper than that, I changed my understanding of what eating was for. In the first season of my life, eating was just about taste, that was it. I loved certain foods and I hated certain foods. you remember how you hated things? You loved it or you hated it and that's what mattered, it was all about taste but then I became a little more health conscious and I realized that food is actually about nutrition hence the salads and the broccoli and stuff but it didn't stop there now my favorite meals have less to do with what's on the plate and more to do with who's at the table because I've learned that eating is about community that eating is about relationship. I still like it to taste good. Those early days aren't completely gone. And a lot of the stuff that I eat needs to be healthy. That reality hasn't changed, but I've grown up enough to recognize a deeper purpose, and that is the table is ultimately about relationships. What happens here in worship is over and over and over again, we recite what our lives are for. And early in life, it begins with what tastes good to us, what what, what we like. That's what we think life is for. It's just what we like. But then what gives us pleasure? But then we learn... That we want a life that has meaning. And that's a little different. We want a life that has meaning, but ultimately the maintenance of divine worship is about learning to love what God loves. And none of us are there yet, not not completely, but we have begun. It's something of an already not yet reality in our lives. And so that's why God wants us to have this time. Because we need a regular recital of what life is for. So that we can come and say, Gosh, I got that right, but I missed this. I'm a person of unclean lips. I see things differently now. Because in worship, we discover what's real what's real life, and what God wants from us. It's the discipline of reminding us what we're for. That's all God wants, to remind us what we're for. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.